This podcast was made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are talking with Michael Varr, star of Shakespeare in Love, playing at MTC. Shakespeare in Love is on the Unit 4 Theatre Studies playlist. This is part three of the interview. If you haven't listened to part one or part two, I suggest you go back and listen to those. To find out more about Shakespeare in Love and to book your tickets, go to mtc.com.au. Without further ado, let's get to it. Can you give us an example of cohesion in the piece? I mean, very much uh, the cohesiveness of the piece, I think, starts with the writing. Um, a lot of the scenes uh, are quite short in comparison, you know, a couple of pages long um, at most. And then it's punctuated with these much larger scenes of, you know, 15 to 20 pages long um, in the first half um, and in the second half. Um, and so already you have this rhythm that bleeds into itself. It's almost like a, um, a classical musical piece that ebbs and flows and rises and falls. And it takes rhythmically supported also geographically. It takes you from a tavern to then into a, into Whitehall. And then it takes you back into a playhouse. And then it takes you to the, the Royal house of a, of a rich, rich merchant and then it takes you back into a rehearsal room and then it takes you off to the Greenwich and then it takes you to a bedroom in a royal house and so the cohesiveness of, of rhythm within pay within um, scene structure uh, or length within geography within length within the stagecraft supporting that fluidity through having a revolved transition one to another, having a screen transition across the stage from one to another and suddenly a new scene appears means that this play, it's kind of like a kayaking down a rapid. It never stops. Um, and everything interlocks and flows through. There's a, there's a fluidity all the way through. Um, and I think that's very much to do with, the, well, actually to do with Simon Phillips, the director, being able to craft that and shape that um, and us as performers we, and crew we ride that all the way through can you give us an example of motion in the piece um well yeah firstly i guess uh, the the two dance scenes um uh, always a great sense of motion um very much choreographed um the first one at the de Lesseps hall where we first where will first sees viola um she's already seen will dressed as Thomas, well, she's dressed as Thomas Kent, but the uh, visualization and the, the impression, first impression he gets of her um, is in this, she's in this bright red dress and the whole court is designed costume wise. Everyone's wearing red or flavors of red within it. And Will has this green, so he pops out, but there is this constant motion of um, circles and revolves and hands moving in and touching each other and passing and exchanges of partners and we've mapped this will jumps into this dance and to get to meet viola and we see his transition through and we kind of see almost like a like a, um what's the image i'm looking for well it's kind of like a, it's almost like a jigsaw or something but we see uh, or magnets, playing with magnets. When one person moves, it pushes someone else to another space. So we see Will jumping into this dance 
and are pushing, almost pushing away Wessex from Viola. And he gets lost in this dance while Will has his time with Viola and then starts to see Wessex come back. So he jumps back into the dance while then we get Wessex in this moment with Viola and then Will comes back in the dance. And so it's almost like this fluidity of movement and this choreographed dance, but then these players knowing these, you know, like Will knowing this dance and knowing how to make it um, work to his ends by meeting and spending time with Viola. Um, all in this very choreographed, but also visually very choreographed and beautiful work that shows arms and gesture that incorporates nearly the whole company on stage at this moment to then present this court and this all this this royal house this 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 rich house of grandeur and design and this upper classedness and and what it was you know now going to like a club or dancing at a a bar or something like that but this is what what it was back in the day um you know hearing a song and doing let's do that dance shall we um so that's one and then counterpoint that with a sword fight where you have something so choreographed but then also so different in it instead of showing um smoothness and control we are trying to for the story to show aggression and volatility and, and danger and death um, but this time it's also the counterpoint of us as performance being totally safe and in control and giving the audience the idea or the impression of danger and anger and aggression um, with gesture or extended movement with swords or impact moments or roles and, and, and visual direction. Look here, look there. Um, there's a quote from Nigel Poulton that the fight choreographer said um, in terms of the visual storytelling that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So you don't need to rush things. You don't need to put too much energy or try and act fast. You can be slow, but smooth. And if you're smooth, the audience will get that it's fast. Can you give us an example of rhythm in the piece? So a great example of, of rhythm, I think, and tempo comes within the, uh, uh, it's one of the balcony scenes. It's, I think after Will and Viola have met, um, Will and Marlowe steal to her balcony uh, as she starts to read a letter from Shakespeare. Um, and he reveals himself, or Marlowe reveals Will, to Viola and she asks for him to recite some poetry or create some poetry for her um, to which he has still got his writer's block and he is dumbfounded. And it's almost, uh, it's been referenced as a, like the Cyrano scene from Cyrano de Bergerac where um, Cyrano gives this guy who's wanting to woo this woman the words to woo her while Cyrano secretly longs for her too. So this moment is similar, but Marlowe doesn't long for Viola. Um, where Marlowe is feeding the words of Sonnet 18 to Will. He's only, ha he's only written the first two lines. Um, and so you have this uh, almost like tic-tac-toe rhythm of um, Marlowe creating these lines of this sonnet and then passing them on to Will. So you might say... Um, uh, shall I compare this to a summer's day? That one, rough winds. Marlowe might say rough winds, and then Will will say rough winds, and then you see it land on Viola, and then we'll do shake, and then from Marlowe, and then do shake from Will, but it's in a performative, not in a iambic rhythm, um, and then it hits Viola again. 
the darling buds of May and the darling buds of May. And, and then it hits Viola and she says, oh, Will, that's wonderful, more. And then you hit back to the Marlowe and Will both sighing. Uh, and summer's lease and summer's lease have all too short a date. And you have this tic-tac-toe rhythm of storytelling that builds and builds and builds throughout the creation of Sonnet 18 or our creation of Sonnet 18 um, to the point where he then um, finishes it and rediscovers his, uh, he breaks his writer's block and rediscovers his talent and his craft. And Viola discovers this sonnet that has been written for her through Marlowe and Shakespeare. Can you give us an example of emphasis in the piece? To, of emphasis um, and added impact of drama and storytelling is the moment where we find out that Marlowe has been killed. Um, so we've, ju- we've just had a, a small victory at the rehearsal room where we've found that we haven't lost the script, the manuscript, and we all go to the, the pub to celebrate. And, um, and at the pub, uh, it is revealed that Shakespeare is already married with kids um, and he hadn't told Viola that, she had no knowledge of that and feels utterly betrayed um, by him and leaves saying, never, never contact me again, don't, don't ever speak to me again. Uh, and just as Will is chasing after her, um, a messenger comes in and stops Will from leaving and reveals that Marlowe has been stabbed in a tavern and at that point Shakespeare is centre stage and everyone is around him at tables and chairs and listening to this news Uh, and then through lighting and sound this moment of pathos is heightened to extremis where a spotlight focuses on Will and there's silence and then the ensemble, which is now dimmed a little bit all around and still, starts singing this lament. Um, and it's the words of the sonnet, um, or halfway through the sonnet, but thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade. Those lines are sung in this almost... Um, funereal mass or lament to Marlowe uh, and the stage starts to revolve. The tavern revolves out and Will walks through the tavern as it's revolving and then walks off the rake, off the, the square rake, which has been the space for the tavern. So breaking the fourth wall, lights, uh, the spotlight is tracking him all the way down and he walks all the way to the front and almost steps out of the whole world steps into this blackness where it is just him this lament of Marlowe and it's like he's at the pearly gate saying goodbye to his friend or he's lamenting his friend mourning the loss of his his friend and writer and guide um, until the point where the lament finishes and he then directs his thought will directs his thought from what he's lost to who is responsible and shifts it to Wessex. And that's when we then shift to a new scene. Um, but it's, it's a scene which uses music and light, the stage presence, the, the revolve in the stage um, to all support and physical movement of breaking from one space to another in the theatre to emphasise this huge moment of loss and shift 
within England, within the sphere of the men and within Will in himself, that he is now truly alone of losing his Viola and his Marlowe, and he has nothing anymore. Can you describe how contrast is used in Shakespearean love? Yeah, certainly so. I think, I think again, this is an amazing situation of, of doubling and amazing talent of Deirdre Rubenstein, where she plays the queen, but she also plays Viola de Lesseps' nurse. Um, and so she has little to no status in one sense um, in the world of the court, in the world of Viola de Lesseps. Um, when Lord Wessex comes and visits to meet with Viola to not propose but to, to, to say that he is marrying her um, she um, the nurse has no power in that room she is violent de Lesseps handmaid um, she's uh, has a word to say in her ear and echoes the character of the nurse in Romeo and Juliet but she she doesn't have a position to change the fate of anyone around her um, through control um, the power that she does have is being able to pass letters or receive people or let people in when they maybe shouldn't. Um, like when she lets Will Shakespeare through to the ball of Vida Lesseps when the, the guard at the gate, <coughs> Catling, is, uh, is denying him and Marlowe entry. So it's, uh, it's a, um, but then at the same time, or, you know, not at the same time, sorry, but 45 seconds previous, She's playing the Queen of England, the most powerful presence in England. The, you know, God's anointed. Um, you know, it was the monarchy back then. It was that the king or queen was God's messenger on earth. Um, and that even transcends into our play where the most powerful person in the world is the queen and no one disagrees or goes against her, or stands up to her or um, no one should. <laughs> Viola tries at times, but, but yes, yeah, so you have this one actor playing these two characters of absolute contrasting class situation and power, each having their own power in their own right, but all within the one actor as well, which is really fascinating. And that has an effect on the audience, I think, where they can even unconsciously feel it, the echoes within each other's characters, each of those characters within the one actor. Can you describe how the director or the other production areas use variation in Shakespearean love? Mm. Well, again, I think we see the variation of, of all the characters on stage. Um, I mean, the, the contrasts come from the different worlds. I think the upper class and the lower class and, and the articulate and the inarticulate. But I think what's amazing is the variation <clears throat> on stage that we see in the rehearsal rooms where we have these different actors playing these different characters, but blossoming into becoming these amazing figures on stage. You know, Ralph the, runs the tavern, wants to play a pirate king and then ends up playing the nurse um, next to one of the professional actors from Ned Allen's troupe playing Lady Capulet at the end of the show. And so you have these, you know, or Wabash, the stuttering tailor of Henslow, this um, is appointed the prologue of the play. Um, and so you have these huge variations within all these characters that make up the theatre world. And I think that at heart is what the play is about, of showing the variety of the theatre, which, to you know, quote Hamlet, like, we hold a mirror up to nature, um, is what 
theatre does in general um, to the world, showing the variety of humanity and of experience um, to whatever end is, is the artist's choice. But um, I think with us, that's our variety on stage shows the variety of humanity. Thank you for your time today, Michael Vaughan. Thank you very much for having me. That concludes our interview with Michael Varr, starring as Will in Shakespeare in Love, playing at MTC on the Theatre Studies Unit 4 playlist. To find out more about Shakespeare in Love, go to mtc.com.au. That is all from us at The Aside. We have a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to suggest an episode or you have a question, feel free to email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, The Aside Podcast. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. And of course, thank you for listening.